The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. Welcome to Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's been an attorney mediator for 26 years, and during that time, she's resolved thousands of disputes as a neutral conflict healer. She's a member of the Orange County Superior Court Mediation Panel, and she's been a law professor of negotiations and mediation, and presently teaches negotiations right here at UCI. She's the author of Negotiations, Breakthroughs, and co-author of Stepping Stones to Success and several other books. To listen to previous interviews, see upcoming guests, download podcasts, and learn more, visit www.conflicthealing.com. So Mari, what's your show about today? Well, you know, our show today is about honoring your anger. And we have a great book here and a wonderful guest. And, And I have right in my hand here this book called Honor Your Anger, how Transforming Your Anger Style Can Change Your Life. Learn to safely and effectively communicate your anger, and it's by Beverly Engel. Let me tell you a little bit about Beverly. Beverly is um, Be- Beverly has 30 years' experience working with victims of emotional, physical, and sexual abuse, and she's written 20 books on these subjects. She has shared her expertise on many national television and radio shows, including Oprah, CNN, Starting Over. And her work has been cited in many newspapers and magazines across the country, including the Washington Post, the L.A. Times, the Cleveland Plain Dealer, O Magazine, Cosmopolitan, Ladies Home Journal, Good Housekeeping, and more. Beverly has presented workshops internationally on issues of ending violence against women and uh, against uh, all sorts of things against child abuse and and neglect. She's been the subject of the keynote speaker at many conferences, and she has also done a lot of training at many hospitals, including Los Angeles County Mental Health, Atascadero State Mental Health Hospital, Uh, in Portland, Oregon, all over the country, and even in New Zealand. And she has, um, she's a USC graduate, and she's uh, she's helped USC graduates in Los Angeles right here, even though she is from the Midwest, and she's done great work. So without further ado, I want to thank Beverly for joining us. Thank you so much, Beverly. Oh, you're welcome. I'm looking forward to it. So Beverly, why don't you tell us why you wrote this book, Honor Your Anger? What brought this all about? Well, I've, as you mentioned, I've been working with victims of emotional, physical, and sexual abuse most of my career for almost 30 years. And uh, a common component that almost every client has uh, is issues with anger. Um, they either have uh, a lot of rage that they need to learn to release in constructive ways, or they are afraid of their anger, or they're afraid of other people's anger. Um, so I've just found that it's really an important aspect of healing. Absolutely. So why is anger considered the most misunderstood emotion? Well, first of all, it's a very complicated emotion. Um, There's different types of anger. 
Uh, there's different types of ways that, uh, to help to, to release anger in a healthy way. Um, we have an erroneous belief that uh, anger is always associated with violence, and we think of anger as being a negative emotion when it actually is not. It's uh, really a neutral emotion, and it depends upon what we do with our anger, whether it becomes negative or positive. Um, so there's just been a lot of misinformation about it. Um, actually, anger is just a signal or a message that something is wrong in your life, either with a relationship or with a situation or something going on with you. That's all it really is. From a neutral point of view, it's just a signal. Yes, and, and that's actually good then. I mean, it's it's helpful to have that and recognize it, so that means that there has to be something that has to change in your life, right? Absolutely, yes, yes. So what are the negative aspects that you see in anger from your clients? Well, uh, obviously, if, if somebody becomes abusive with their anger, then it becomes negative. Um, if they're, you know, yelling and screaming at their partner or if they're hitting or if they're uh, being abusive to their children, um, if they're uh, an abusive boss, uh, then, it, then anger becomes negative. Um, another way it becomes negative, though, is the opposite, when it's turned against yourself. And females in general, it's very general, of course, uh, tend, to, uh, tend to turn their anger against themselves and actually feel guilty or, or full of shame or somehow responsible for, for the way things are going. And that can really eat away at your self-esteem. Um, another way that anger can become negative is if we repress our anger or deny it, uh, and we don't face the truth about a situation, either from the present or the past. And that kind of anger can burst out of us unexpectedly and cause us to say things we regret saying or even become physically abusive. Um, we can also misplace anger. So we have anger at one person, and we are afraid to, to confront that person, and we end up misplacing it. We think the most common example, of course, is being afraid of confronting your partner and misplacing it on your children. So we take the anger out on somebody who doesn't deserve it. Right, or road rage. You know, <clears throat> yes. people, they're, they're all stressed up. In fact, uh, a friend of mine I was speaking with yesterday was telling me that He's under so much stress that he found himself just raging at people for talking too loud in a coffee house. Yes. And that kind of scared him that he realized that that all this stress was building up anger that he just had so much anger for maybe not having enough time to himself or whatever it was. He was just finding that he was so stressed out and so angry about it that he was just taking it out on other people. And then we had some horrible things happen out here in California where um a, uh, a father who was fighting custody with his wife went into this a beauty salon and not only killed his wife, but killed about eight or 10 other people and wounded many more just because he was so filled with rage and anger. It was, uh, I think it was national. You may have even right, heard about yes, it in the yes, Midwest. Yeah, yeah. So let, let's talk a little bit about what are some of the positive aspects of ang anger. Yeah. Well, most people can think of this as, if you think about it, that um, it can be a really positive aspect of your life if you allow yourself to get angry in a healthy way, and it can empower you, it can energize you, um, it's, um, it's really notorious for helping people who've been victimized to become victors, and I like the title of your book there, From Victim to Victors, right. um, because people who are able to get in touch with their anger and release it constructively 
feel, no longer feel like a victim. They've, they've said what they wanted to say. They've gotten it off their chest. They've, they felt empowered. You know, they've been able to be assertive and express their anger. And so that's one positive aspect for sure. Um, we mentioned it can be a signal that something is wrong in your relationship or in your environment. Um, and it also is a way, you know, to make social change. A lot of social change has come from somebody getting really angry, like we think of Mothers Against Drunk Drivers. Right. Um, that came from somebody getting really enraged about what had happened to her own family, and she started this magnificent organization that has been tremendously successful in, in changing our, our ideas about drunk, uh, driving and being drunk. Right. That's such a great way to channel things for, for greater societal change. When I think of Rosa Parks, who wouldn't, was angry and would not give up her seat on the bus, right. and look at that started a whole civil rights movement. Or when you think of Mahatma Gandhi, he didn't like the way the people in India were being treated, and he just had his nonviolence way of dealing with his anger about it. Absolutely. So you're right. It's, it, it, it really is you know, it can be your ally in many ways. It can really help you to grow. It can help you to do so many things. And I I often get worried when I hear people, for example, at church or something, and they say, oh, well, I don't want to be angry. I don't ever want to be angry. I want to keep that anger down. But is that something that, that really can? I mean, what causes anger? Is it something that you can say, well, I'm never going to be angry? Is that even possible? It really isn't possible. Um, again, it's a, it's a physiological signal that there's something wrong. And what really causes anger is that we feel threatened. Uh, and it goes back to the old fight-or-flight um, syndrome where, you know, you feel threatened in some way and you can either, you know, fight or you can flee or now we know you can freeze. Um, but it's, a, it's a, the body's way of defending you against a threat. Yes. Uh, and so adrenaline gets released, and so you get the strength and endurance that you need to maybe fight an enemy or fight a threat. Um, so underneath anger always is the feeling of being threatened. Now, you may not, we may not be feeling physically threatened nowadays as much as we used to, uh, but we can feel emotionally threatened. Uh, if someone says something that hurts our feelings or someone says something that feels like a threat, like they're going to, you know, if a you're in a relationship and the person threatens to leave or they threaten to have an affair, um, all of that can cause anger. Yes. Um, so that's kind of the, the core cause of anger is feeling threatened. Right. So what causes the unhealthy anger that, that turns into aggression and violence? Yeah. It's usually a particular type of person. I mentioned uh, four anger styles in my book, and, and one is the aggressive anger style, and an aggressive person who has an aggressive anger style, um, that person really feels like they're entitled to say whatever they want to say to the person who they're angry with. Right. Uh, they, they're very direct, but in a very forceful way, uh, and they tend to impose their anger on another person uh, without really thinking about how the other person might react. So that's a very uh, negative way of dealing with anger, and that kind of person would really need to learn to think through their anger more um, and ask their se- themselves some questions such as, why does this make me angry and what am I feeling underneath my anger? Uh, we might be feeling hurt, we might be feeling afraid, we might be feeling ashamed, but there's always another emotion underneath anger. Uh, does this person remind me of something from the past? 
Um, what is the belief that caused my anger? So always the, the aggressive person needs to actually be more introspective and not assume that they should be able to say whatever they're feeling in the moment. Um, they actually need to take time away. Maybe they need to take time away to be calm and take time out. You know, the counting from one to ten thing really does work. Or leaving the situation so that you can cool down. Um, so the aggressive anger style, that person needs to find a way to calm themselves down and not just spew out uh, you know, anger and violence. And those are the people who end up being violent, are the people who have the aggressive anger style. Right. What about these young people that uh, end up in gangs? I mean, this anger is part of what's making them macho, which is giving them the, the self-confidence. What about that? Yeah, well, you know, kids who are in gangs typically have reported that they don't feel like they have a strong family unit or they don't have support or they don't feel like they fit in anywhere until they do get into the gang. And, yes, then they're encouraged to act out through violence. Um, they talk about, the, the, you know, being territorial, and it's, it kind of, you know, harkens back to more primitive times where there were, you know, uh, certain territories and turf wars and that kind of a thing. Uh, so it gets complicated, but, yeah, they are definitely encouraged to be aggressive and to be violent versus, say, talk it through, (laughs) or try to reach a compromise, or some of the work that you do with mediation. They're not encouraged to do that. Um, Although we are finding with some of the old gang members, they are going back to the young gang members uh, more recently and trying to help them learn mediation and that kind of a thing. Right, right. What about the difference between men and women with how they handle anger? Have you done a lot with that kind of a study? Yes, it's, uh, again, really generalizing because there are, there are really differences um, also, you know, but, but women do tend to hold in their anger. Uh, women have been social, socialized to not be angry. It's not as acceptable for girls to be angry. It's more acceptable for girls to be sad right? and much more acceptable for boys to be angry. And, you know, boys will be boys and it's okay for them to hit or whatever they want to do with their anger. Um, that's still the case mostly, but we are seeing a different trend where girls are also encouraged to be angry. It's kind of the comes out of the reality show thing about fighting and being mean girls and, you know, right. YouTube, you know, um, cameras being used to, to record girls fighting and people getting off on that. So it's changing a little bit, but mostly it's much more acceptable for, still for males to be aggressive and angry. Yeah. And, you know, that really worries me uh, when I go and I see there's so many aggressive, angry people in the movies and on TV and this kind of modeling. What are your thoughts about that? Well, I think it's really negative. Um, And and again, in your field, I'm sure you really see it there. We don't see very many good role models for sitting down and talking things over, listening to each other, really hearing each other's point of view you know, listening from an open mind, with an open mind and an open heart. Everybody wants to be heard. Everybody just wants to have their say, and they want the other person to understand what's going on with them. When that happens, when somebody feels really heard and they feel understood, a lot of their anger will go away. It just dissipates. It's the frustration that people feel when they're not being heard, when they're being argued with, when they're not being understood, that frustration can, can develop into aggression. 
Um, so we're just we're not teaching our kids, and they, we don't see kids don't see positive role models on television or in movies where people mediate, they compromise, they listen to each other. It's just not being shown. No, we we have lots of shows about anger and violence, and we have lots of shows about you know g- going to people's court where they're arguing against each other, but. For a long time, I've been saying they really need to have a show on mediation, and that and and model that kind of behavior. And how do you how do you really resolve a dispute? We are speaking with Beverly Engel, who is the author of Honor Your Anger: How Transforming Your Anger Style Can Change Your Life. So, in in looking at this book, and I really love it, by the way, you have in step five, for example, you have find ways to manage your anger. So let's talk about some of those ways that you can manage your anger since all of us have anger, whether we're denying it or whether we're fighting or whether we're fleeing or avoiding or whatever we're doing, we all have it. So how do we, what are the best, some of the best ways that we can manage that anger? Well, I mentioned the way for the, and it really is different depending upon the person's anger style. Right. So I mentioned the way that somebody who has the aggressive anger style can manage it. Uh, another anger style is the passive or avoidant anger style. And that person is really afraid of their anger, or they have a very strong belief that you should avoid being angry, like you mentioned, the, the, you know, the people at church or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and they may not even know that they're angry, but people around them will sense their hostility. And they, can, they will say to you, they will deny it, that I'm angry, but you can feel it. It's palpable. Um, and they may be too afraid that if they started getting angry, they could lose control, and they have all kinds of visions in their head of what could happen to them if they if they let go of control. Uh, and that person would need to to start in a very um, non threatening way to just begin to take a risk and and say what they feel to somebody who's non threatening uh, to actually speak what they feel. To somebody who's who's not going to really you know give them a very uh, a negative reaction. So uh, and if they do that enough and they have enough experience, just like with self esteem, if we start with a hierarchy of of the lowest risk and and build our way up to the higher risk, we we build our self esteem. And the same thing what happens with anger. If we start with the lowest risk of who we can who we can confront and then build our way up to the more um, difficult situations, we can build up our tolerance for being able to express our anger. Yeah, um, let, and let's talk about some of the way that some of the ways that you coach your clients and I coach mine. You know, when we talk about well, speak, you know, speak what's bothering you. Often, people will immediately do the blame game. Well, right. it's because you did this and you talked to me like this, or you embarrassed me in front of someone else. Instead of talking about, well, when this happened, I felt horrible. I felt embarrassed. I felt, you know, denied. I felt belittled, you know, talking from the, the I. Let's talk right. about the difference between the you statements and the I statements. Yeah. Well, you just modeled it really greatly. You know, yes, the, the, the structure is when you blank, I feel blank. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the, the basic structure of assertiveness, for example. Um, and that's a really ideal way of communicating with someone because you don't put them on the defensive. Um, you know, you're just saying what you feel, and you're just, you know, there's a, another part to that. But um, you're just saying that when this happens, this is how I feel. You're not blaming them. You're not making them defensive. And people react and respond very differently 
to that than they do blame when you say you, you, you. Exactly. Another thing that I notice when I'm in mediation, because people are making proposals and the other person will say, well, I don't agree with that. You know, that, that, that escalates the anger too. So one of the things that I always tell my clients to do is say, gee, I'm not really comfortable with that. And this is the reason why, rather than say, I don't agree with that. And which just gets the other person so angry when they feel that they're not being heard. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So those are a couple of the things that, that, you know, it's so important for people to, this is why I really like your book because you give real concrete examples of, of what to do. One of the things that, that seemed to cause a lot of problem is stress. And, um, you, you have this section in here called reducing stress by changing your attitudes and behavior. Some people say to me, I am who I am and I can't change my behavior. I can't change my attitude. That's the way I am. What do you say to people like that? Yeah. Uh, well, we all can change our behavior and our attitude. Um, and it's not just the way we are. Um, just a, one example is that if you, if you have an attitude and a belief system that people are intentionally trying to hurt you, then you're going to look at the world in a very uh, tainted way, in a, in a very dark way, uh, versus if you assume that we are all doing the best we can and that people can hurt us, but they normally, the average person is not deliberately trying to hurt us. Um, and to acknowledge that we also hurt other people, but we don't intend to do it. If you can really, you know, embrace that belief system, it can change a lot for you in terms of how you perceive the way other people treat you. Um, so that's an example of an attitude. You know, if I have the attitude that people are out to get me, that's what I'm going to see. Right. If I have the attitude or the belief that they're not out to get me at all, they just, they inadvertently hurt me, and I want to be able to tell them about that hurt, but I don't have to actually, you know, like we said, I don't have to blame them, I don't have to crucify them because of it. And also, if I can always bring it back to myself and remember the times I have hurt people, or just make the assumption that I've also hurt people. A lot of people have the attitude that, how dare somebody hurt me? Right. And they don't remember, well, of course, I've hurt other people too. You know, so this person isn't a horrible monster because they've hurt me. Right. Just like I'm not a monster because I've hurt other people. So we absolutely can change our attitudes and our behaviors. Right. It's like they say, change your thinking, change your life. Right. You know, exactly. and, and we do, you know, this is the thing that I think that I find is really interesting when people say, well, you know, this, this is what I've experienced. So, you know what, that's the way I see it. And sometimes we forget that we can decide to see it differently. It is a choice that we make. Right. And that's the thing that people don't realize. They don't realize that they have a choice in how they could see the world half empty or the world half full. Mm-hmm. And so if they say, I choose, because Beverly says to me, it makes sense that we are all doing the best we can with the tools that we have and what we've had in our life. That's we're doing the best we can then we can say, okay, well, he's tried to do the best he could. Maybe he didn't do good enough for me, but he did the be- <laughs> he did the best that he could, and it wasn't intentional. I think that's that's a really good thing. Yeah. Now, of course, there are people who do intentionally try to hurt us. Yes. You know, so we do need to be aware of that too. 
But generally speaking, again, the average person isn't intentionally trying to hurt us. Right. So let's get back because I I really love some of these uh, changing attitudes and changing behavior. This is one that I just dealt with in in a mediation yesterday. Having to be right. I always ask my clients when when they look like they don't want to settle, I say, well, would, would you rather be right or would you rather be happy? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So let's talk about that first one. I think that's a really important one. You said that here are some stress-producing attitudes. Having to be right. Well, Absolutely. Talk, yeah. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, just think about how much stress you put yourself under if you have to be right. When you have a discussion with somebody or an argument, and you're hanging on having to be right, you're going to keep pursuing that argument. You're going to keep after it and keep after it and keep after it. You're going to hammer at that person until they admit that they were wrong and that you were right. And think of all the stress that puts you under, much less the other person, of hammering at that other person versus getting your beliefs out, getting your words out, explaining what happened and how it hurt you, and then letting it go. We don't have control over how the other person's going to react. All we can do is tell them what we're feeling and hope that they will listen and hope they will understand us. Uh, And if they don't, then hammering away at them isn't going to make them change. And and that's when they get into these lawsuits, you know, right. Beverly. They if they if you have to be right, and not only is it going to hurt you stress wise, but it's going to hurt your pocketbook because you're going to end up in in court, and you're you're going to try and prove that you're right. And if the other person is the same way, and they try to prove that they are right, then they're going to wait for a judge to make a decision, and then totally disempower themselves. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and I love that having to. Would you rather be right or be happy? I originally heard that as. Would you rather be right or be loved? Oh, that's a good one, too. And I love that in a relationship (laughs) because that can really, you know, bring you up short and go, whoa, wait a minute, you know? Yeah, I might end up, you know, getting the person to admit they're right and then alienate them. Yeah. And not have a good relationship anymore. That that goes to the issue of having to be perfect or having the other person have to be perfect. Right. Talk a little bit about that one because I think that happens a lot of time in relationships is that, you know you have this ideal of that the other person has to be perfect or you have to be perfect. How does that, how do you get over that one? Yeah, that's kind of what I was saying. You kind of, we kind of get on our high horse. How dare that person have hurt my feelings? How dare they did that? And it's kind of like the idea that they're supposed to be perfect and they're supposed to never hurt our feelings. Um, And of course, that's impossible. Um, And so, you know, again, if we come back to remembering I always encourage people to come back and think of themselves and what they've done in their life and kind of get off their high horse thinking that they are perfect because no one has been, uh, and to bring it back to themselves and say, okay, you know, when have I done the same thing? Maybe not to this person, but to somebody else. I can guarantee you that that person's probably also hurt, you know, someone else the way they were hurt. Um, and then putting yourself in the other person's place is another important one. Yes. Um, because if we're, you know, again, we're right and we're indignant because they hurt our feelings or whatever. But what's their side of the story? How, how, how can I imagine they might feel? Uh, so adding that compassion element can really help people. And that is a perfect way to end. I know you wrote another book about apology, and that's something that's so powerful as well. But we are out of time. So I, um, I would like you to give your website and the name of your book again, and then we're going to have to go. Okay. Uh, my website is beverlyengel.com, and that's E-N-G-E-L. Um, 
And what else did you ask me? And no. the name of this wonderful book, okay. Honor Your Anger? Uh, Honor Your Anger. And you can get it on Amazon or it's in most bookstores. And it's great. And, and just know that this applies to everybody, you and me and everybody else. We all have to deal with our anger and make it turn our, our anger from, uh, from something negative into something really positive. So yes. you are really positive, and we thank you so much, Beverly. Well, you're welcome. Thank All you. All right. You take care. All right. Bye-bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank, the host of Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. Please visit our website at conflicthealing.com, see our upcoming guests, listen to archived interviews, down, download podcasts, and talk to us about what's concerning you about conflict in your own life. Thank you so much, and talk to you next week at 8.30. Bye-bye. It's about trust. Yeah, yeah. It's about faith. It's about trust. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.